Hey, Rockheads, it's time again for NDC, an incredible developer conference held annually in Oslo, Norway. Richard and I will both be there, of course, but check out this all-star lineup. Troy Hunt, Rob Eisenberg, Scott Allen, Oren Eni, Michelle Bustamante, Damian Edwards, Brock Allen, Dominic Beyer, and many more. Register before March 11th at ndc-oslo.com and save up to $350. That's 3,000 kroner for you Norwegians. NDC, we'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1264, with guest Laurent Bougnon. Recorded Thursday, January 28th, 2016. Guess what? It's .NET Rocks. I it's like that. March. Oh my God! It's March. <laughs> How do we record a show in January and publish it in March? What do we say? What about the weather? It's Marchish. Yeah. <laughs> when they say "in like a lion, out like a lamb," is that it? I guess you know the listeners don't want to hear us talking about the weather so much, so maybe we shouldn't. But um, well, you know, we're we're recording this at the end of January. Yep. And uh, we've got a bunch of shows. We got them, you know, from NDC London. Yes. And we got three in Scotland, and we're, we're just sort of getting ahead of ourselves. We're ahead. That's all that we could say about that. Yeah. Fortunately, I don't think this show is going to be so timely that a month is going to matter. No, I think it'll be fine. But I uh, can't wait to talk to Laurent. Anyway, I've got something interesting for you for okay. Better No Framework. Two awesome. things, actually. So what do you got? All right. Well, first of all, one Ken McCullough suggested by email that since I'm using pwop.me, or I had been, um, all during the uh, the shows we did in, in London and Scotland, I didn't really. But back way back in January, I had been using pwop.me for better know framework URLs. Right. Because this is a domain I control, and I just put URL records in there, and it works. But he suggested that if I'm going to do that, why don't I make the the prefix the number of the show? It's a good Duh. idea. Duh! What a great idea. Yeah. So this better know framework is at 1264-1264.pwop.me. And thank you, Ken. I'm going to use that from now on. And it's Helios. Helios. Oh, what is this? Helios is a Docker orchestration platform for deploying and managing containers across an entire fleet of servers. So, you know, we've talked about tools like this. In fact, we got into a, quite a few of them uh, a couple weeks ago. Helios provides an HTTP API as well as a command line client to interact with servers running your containers. Also keeps a history of events in your cluster, including information such as deploys, restarts, and version changes. Uh, the binary release of Helios is built for Ubuntu 14.04.1 LTS, but Helios should be buildable at any platform with at least Java 7 and a recent Maven 3 available. And uh, it's GitHub. It's on GitHub. Nice. So it's open source. Download it, compile it, use it. And I know it's not usually in our wheelhouse to talk about things like this, but, you know, you tell your friends. .NET rocks isn't all .NET all the time. <laughs> But tooling is tooling, too. If this is a, a better way for you to manage uh, the orchestration of your Docker containers, you should do it. Absolutely. You know, we're just trying to keep up with what you guys are doing. That's all. For sure. So that's what I got. 1264.pwop.me. M-E. Who's talking to us, Richard? 
grabbed a comment off of show 1211, the one we did with Matthew Wilson last year. We were talking about building VR apps in .NET. And, uh, you know, we went over the pl- all over the place in that conversation. And this particular comment comes from John Oxley, where he says, Awesome show, guys. It brought to mind something I've been contemplating for quite a while now, and something you mentioned has triggered me to write this comment. Something that comes up regularly when you ask your guests of how you'd spend $5,000 is monitors. Yeah. And I am always <laughs> on the hunt for more pixels. In my right. opinion, the correct number of monitors is more. More. Yes. I bet you can already guess where I'm going with this. Mm. In your show, you mentioned that someone has his code window up inside of the Oculus Rift environment. Yeah, that was right? cool. I've seen this video. It's just, it's really interesting that you're in this 3D environment and your pop up window writes some code and then it's manifest inside the VR space. So how about an application that is nothing but a set of virtual monitors? You can choose how big and where they float in your virtual environment. It'd be interesting to see the best way of doing this would be. It is also possible to find a virtual monitor that the OS writes to, and then the VR host app just displays it in your workspace. You know what I like about this idea is that, yeah, it's fine to have your virtual monitor and stuff, but it's the background. You could be sitting at the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. (laughs) <laughs> Any of those things. Yeah, you could just create any world you want. I right. mean, there's always the limit of resolution, right? right? Like, how crisp is this really going to be? How big does it need to be for it to be legible when you talk yeah. about code? Right. You know, I've got that. I've got the Surface Book, which is 3,000 by 2,000 native on a 13-inch to screen. Mm. Let me tell you, if you don't scale a little bit on Visual Studio, that's really little text. Yeah. Now, this would also be a really good application for HoloLens because the, the field of view is just about monitor size. Yep. And so, you could just make the monitor full screen uh, a Windows Universal app. And uh, as long as the resolution was good enough, there it is. So now you're sitting on the beach. Not on the beach, of course, but, but you know, <laughs> now you're sitting in your environment and you don't even have a monitor. And so John goes on to say also, I'm going to need a 3D webcam for a few purposes as well. I need to know where my keyboard is. Hmm. Would it be able to show the individual keys on my keyboard or not? Does it matter that we seeing is necessary? Because we all touch type, right? Don't we? Uh, let me know where my mouse is. Yeah, you kind of need to know where that is. I need to know where my coffee is. Well, that's his next one. Let <laughs> me know where my .NET Rocks mug is. <laughs> if you yeah, you don't want to fumble around mug. for that and spill it accidentally in your keyboard. That would or be bad. Or break it. Yeah. And then he goes on to describe exactly what you just described. Imagine sitting on the beach in Bali with seven monitors floating just above the sea. I love that. Without actually getting sand up your butt. Yeah. Um, some downsides. You might get nauseated while working. I get nauseated while working anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Shoulder surfing would be problematic at best, which might actually be a feature, right? That nobody can see your, your, your windows. Yeah. And of course, the jealousy of my coworkers. True. Uh, keep up the great work. Love listening to shows that are outside my area of expertise, especially. And you guys are fantastic hosts. You know, you could get rid of that whole jealousy of your coworkers thing just by jerk. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great solution. Yeah. Oh, awesome. But I, I like about this is just, this, you know, let's not worry about VR or any of those things. Let's just talk about what's the ideal working space and maybe mm. strapping this thing to your face to give you a completely private workspace you can shape any way you want. Maybe that's the solution. Well, you know, um, that's, that's sort of like a Oculus Rift solution, which, you know, but the HoloLens solution is interesting because now you can go to uh, a place that you like to be indoors, obviously, and put up your screens, you know, just in front of you and they sort of stay there. Yeah, I guess a big difference really. And uh, the reason why I prefer 
you know, the, the augmented reality is that I, I really don't like to be disconnected from people around me when I put the, when I put an Oculus on. Yeah. And, uh, even though it's, the experience is really cool because you're kind of immersed, but this immersion is kind of, it's a little bit freaky. Sometimes you don't even know if the person you are talking to is still there or yeah. this kind of thing. Uh, that's kind of weird. I, I agree. And in this, the VRAR conversation is a challenging conversation. John, as you see, you've clearly stimulated some conversation. Thank you so much for your <laughs> comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. We post every show on Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We love tweets. We use them for dental floss. And that brings us to our guest. Laurent Bagnon works as a senior director for IdentityMine.com, one of the leading companies and gold partner for Microsoft technologies such as Windows Presentation Foundation, Xamarin, Windows Store, Windows Phone, Xbox, and generally user experience. He's based in Zurich, Switzerland. Laurent writes for MSDN Magazine and other publications. He codes in Windows, WPF, Xamarin, iOS, and Android, ASP.NET, and his blog is on blog.galasoft.ch. He's a frequent speaker at conferences such as Microsoft Mix, TechEd, VS Live, Tech Days, and many other international events. 2016 is his 10th year as a Microsoft Most Valuable Professional for Windows Application Development, his third year as a Microsoft Regional Director, and his second year as a Xamarin Most Valuable Professional. He's the author of the well-known open-source framework MVVM Lite for Windows, WPF, Xamarin, and of the popular Pluralsight reference course about MVVM Lite. Welcome, Laurent Bagnon. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for being here. It's always great sure. to run into you wherever we are. Likewise. Yeah, the last time we focused mostly on MVVM Lite, but mm -hmm. that's just a piece of what you do, right? And you do a lot of VR and AR stuff. So what did you think about the... I mean, you obviously chimed in on the comment, but is there sure. anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, actually, yes. Um, so you guys know Sean Wildemus, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, great friend, right? And so I saw a picture on his Facebook the other day where he was in the plane for a long haul, and he was actually watching a, uh, a movie using um, using a, a virtual reality tool, which is the... Uh, I'm not sure if he had the, the HTC or, or the Samsung one, but anyway, one of those... Um, devices which are rather on the on the cheap side i think they are something like 99 bucks at amazon and basically you use them with a uh, with an android phone right yeah yeah so you you combine a samsung s6 with the, yeah, the exactly. gear vr exactly and uh and i was just thinking to myself even though i'm not a huge fan of of uh, you know virtual reality because of what i said before which is that it kind of disconnects you from your environment in the plane it's actually a, a plus right and I think you want to be disconnected from uh, from your environment when you fly ten hours or something like that. Sure. And uh, I was just thinking to myself, maybe I should just get one and um, and use that on my next uh, trip to the U.S. or something. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's a solution for flying in general. Right? Mm -hmm. Get rid of the windows. Put goggles on everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, we were we did a we were, did a geek out on next generation airliners. We were talking about the blended wing body, which could probably seat more than a thousand people in this very efficient aircraft. But there are going to mm -hmm. be hardly any windows because it's a, just a it's a funny shape. It's a wing shape, and uh, maybe that's the solution: is put the goggles on everybody. It might be, and you know, if the VR becomes good enough, who wants to travel anymore, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. That's the, a joke, the, by the, the way. whole other <laughs> angle. We, we keep seeing these in movies, right? The the, the yeah. virtual boardroom. 
I, you know, there's one thing that uh, virtual reality can't touch, and that is the flavor of whiskey. So, as long as that's, uh, you know, I, I was telling Ron before we started that, you know, we just came back from this epic tour of Scotland, and, uh, you know, the, it was an expense-paid thing, you know, it was sponsored by Lockheed Martin and a couple other sponsors. So, you know, I told Lauren, it only cost me $1,500 worth of whiskey. Only. For the week. Well, anyway, that's that's something that until we get smell of vision and taste of vision, I think we're we're still going to travel. Yeah, I, w- I wanted to say it's uh, it's actually interesting an interesting topic because um, you know virtual reality and augmented reality is really more than just a vision, and uh, like you know, a lot of devices are doing a lot of research in uh, in spatial sound, for example, and that's really something which is fascinating when you have the sound actually coming from a uh, from a source which is not you know, straight in front of your eyes. So you can basically have someone, uh, an image of someone crossing the screen. And then you also have the sound of someone crossing the screen, like like his footsteps, etc., or the voice or whatever. And uh, you have that in movies sometimes. So sometimes you have suddenly the impression that you have a helicopter coming from behind you or these kind of things. But sure. when you do a when you do really some um, some augmented or virtual reality, this is even more important because it adds a, a level of realism which is uh, much higher. And uh, and I was talking with one of my coworkers about these things, and uh, we were talking about the smell as well and the and the taste and exactly what you said, right? As long as you don't have that, it's not actual reality. And uh, and touch is al- of course also important and all that. So it's really just the beginning, but um, I think already just having the vision and the sound already adds a, a level of realism, which is really important. Uh, I had a week off, went to Cancun with the with the wife and some friends, and there is a uh, Cirque du Soleil show down there now. Mm-hmm. And at one part in the show, uh, this big flower blooms on the stage, and just this overwhelming smell came over the whole crowd awesome. of... Yeah, they clearly had done it. They had injected a scent into the the theater space. Mm-hmm. It was it's very powerful. It's funny how visceral smells are. Yeah, it is. And uh, if you have uh, spent any time in uh, which one is at the Mandela Bay, I think, was inject uh, coconut smell in the uh, in the air. Oh, right. And in so Las when you Vegas. go there, basically, the, the first thing you want to do is jump in the pool, right? Because that uh-huh. reminds you of the <laughs> of the lotion and and all that, and that's kind of weird, right? What have you guys been doing with uh, virtual reality at uh, Identity Mind? We do a lot of stuff. Uh, I mean, basically, our our expertise has always been very much into user experience in general, and so of course, 3D has played a huge role into that. So, are you a Unity shop? Uh, we are a 3D shop, so we use anything that works, and uh, oftentimes it's been really um, low-level DirectX programming, and we do have a. <clears throat> we do have a 3D framework that we have developed ourselves, and we have used that on certain um, on certain uh, projects, like for example with uh, with Kinect. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a, a very cool project some time ago, uh, which uh, people can find on, on YouTube if you're interested. And it's uh, basically um, we were showing a, a car. Um, it was a, a Nissan, actually. I can probably name it. And uh, the the thing is that they wanted to show the car in the in a fair, but they didn't have the car ready yet. And so what we did is a three D high resolution three D model of that. And then the uh, the camera was controlled 
the 3D camera, right, was controlled by the uh, by the the head of the of the viewer. Mm. And so basically, what you would do is, uh, if you tilted your head, you know, the camera would tilt, and so you could watch the car under different angles, and you had even the possibility to actually open the doors of the car, enter inside the car, these kind of things. So there is some uh, some really cool stuff uh, that you can do with uh, with Kinect. 3D and these kind of things, and those were mostly Windows apps. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did also some um, some 3D. Well, uh, one of our specialties when you mix 3D and 2D, so when you have some 3D content and some 2D uh, UI around it, these kind of things. Uh, so we did these kind of things also on uh, on, on phones and on uh, on tablets as well. Um, and so we also explore everything really so with mm. unity the nice thing is you can very easily go cross platform so we also do stuff for uh, for android uh, especially um, all those uh, virtual reality uh, cardboard and these kind of things mm-hmm. and uh, and more and uh, yeah it's uh, it's a very interesting space right now because a lot is happening this portion of dotnet rocks is brought to you by raygun pulse you know about raygun that error in crash reporting software Well, they've just launched Pulse. It's a real user monitoring product that gives you real-time performance data and user insights, letting you understand exactly what's happening when users interact with your software. Never be left guessing. Raygun provides you with the answers to your performance questions. Having found over 10 billion bugs in customer apps with their crash reporting product, Raygun now lets you understand application quality like no one else. Over 30,000 developers worldwide can't be wrong. Try it out today with a no-risk 30-day free trial. Check them out at raygun.io. Is the big challenge with 3D, um, what is it? Is it getting the textures right, getting the mapping right, the rigging? What's the, what's the hard part of 3D? Well, there are really a few things. Um, I think the I think one thing you want to do is uh, be um, probably be realistic enough, but not too realistic either. Mm. Uh, it's uh, finding the right compromise between uh, you know having a great performance is really important. So you need something which is really going to work well, uh, which is uh, one of the reasons why, for example, the latest Oculus Rift requires a, a PC attached to it right so if you have an oculus rift you have a cable mm. and then you have a pc and this pc is quite surprisingly it's got to be beefy isn't it yeah very much uh, i i remember seeing uh, uh scott henselman posting a picture and you know scott right he always has uh, the latest of everything and his pc was deemed not sufficient for <laughs> oculus rift and he posted the comment saying well that's cold right <laughs> so yeah it's uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's a shock, right? So uh, so you want a good performance, and uh, of course when you when you do stuff like games which are really immersive and all that, you want really to have the, uh, the 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 most performance you can have to have the better the best textures and all that. But uh, at the same time, for the stuff we do, which is more um, things that we do for the for, for a general audience, like uh, people in fairs or people in uh, you know, in hotels or these kind of things, like attracting the attention of people, these kind of things, then you cannot really have uh, huge PCs. Very often it's uh, just a kiosk PC or this kind of thing and uh, or even embedded. And so in that case, you really need to uh, to decide what is the most important for you. And having nice textures is nice, but sometimes you have to come down on that a little bit to in order to have better better performance. So that's really important. And I think also another thing which is really, really challenging is the... Um, the usability of the whole thing. So as soon as you want the user to actually interact with your 3D model, 
uh, it's really hard because, uh, you know, if you use a mouse, well, it's a 2D thing. So it's actually usable. I mean, you can, you know, use a mouse to control your 3D, um, your 3D surface and all that. But it's a little bit limited because you cannot really go up and down. Uh, if you use your fingers, there is a whole question of the gesture recognition, which is really hard. Uh, you have to develop a new set of gestures. Um, and sometimes, you know, the cameras don't really see the gesture as well as, as they should, especially if you do that with children or, you know, older people. Sometimes they're not as precise as you, you show them the gesture, but they cannot really reproduce it exactly. So there is a whole learning curve there. And uh, there are some models which come with accessories mm. that you can use to, to control the 3D scenes, like those magic ones or these kind of things. But uh, even that, I don't think we have really hit um, the perfect uh, accessory. Like the mouse, you could argue that probably the mouse is, you know, a very good accessory for a 2D interaction with your PC. And now we have stylus, and, and that's really good as well. But for 3D, I don't think that we really have the, the perfect tool yet. So that's an interesting space to observe as well. Well, the Oculus Rift comes with an Xbox controller. Which isn't bad, but didn't wasn't there prototypes in the development kit era where they put the leap motion sensor on the face of it so it could see your hands? Yeah, you can do that. Um, we find that leap motion is a little bit, um, how should I say, a little bit uh, tricky to work with. So that can be a mm. good complement to something else that you already have. But having really only the leap motion for for controlling your 3D scene is a little bit difficult. So that's uh, that's not super easy. But yeah, you can do that. You can actually mount the leap uh, module in, on, in front of your of your Oculus. Uh, that's one thing. There is um, actually Microsoft uh, just purchased a, a firm. Right, the name escapes me now, but I'm sure that we can find it. Um, and uh, basically, those guys are really specialists of of these kind of things, and I think there, there will be some probably some interesting uh, development in in that space to to check out uh, in the space of really observing how you can interact with a three D scene, which is uh, which is bias and virtual. Yeah, I'm wondering if like the Leap Motion's claim to fame was always that it could map individual fingers. It just seemed like putting it on the oculus wasn't a good idea because now you're moving you have you're too many things are moving right the person's head's moving so the sensor itself is moving and your hands are moving mm -hmm. was it canesta was the company you were talking about yeah yeah i think that's the one um i, I think the 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 big uh, thing which is really um a little bit difficult with oculus is that it's uh i mean virtual reality is very unforgiving in terms of latency Right, and uh, if you have the the slightest, uh, I mean, it's really in terms of uh, of milliseconds, right? You you cannot yeah. have less than than a few milliseconds. Of, I mean, more than a few milliseconds of latency. And if you move your head and your image doesn't move immediately, you make people sick. And mm -hmm. right, it, yeah. it's really a it's really a bad idea. I mean, well, one of the things they were saying is the reason the Oculus was so bloody expensive that it was six hundred dollars, where the dev kits were were three hundred. Was that they're mm -hmm. now making these custom displays that are cycling at 90 hertz instead of 60 hertz to compensate for that. Right. Yeah. But I don't know that anybody's actually tried this to, you know, who, I don't know that anyone is, that any demoer has actually worn the production Oculus Rift and actually knows that it's better. I think the, uh, the new Oculus Rift is also a higher resolution, isn't it? I don't know how high resolution it actually is. Uh, I'm going to take a look mm -hmm. while you guys are talking here. Yeah. Anyway, it's uh, it's very um, it's very interesting space, and uh, you know, it reminds me a little bit when we first started working with Kinect, and nobody really knew exactly what to do with that. And uh, 
I mean, in games, it's fairly obvious what you want to do, but in applications, it's really not. And uh, we had to to really come up with a whole new set of gestures and a whole new set of uh, use cases. And with virtual reality and augmented reality, we are exactly at this point now where basically for games, yeah, everybody imagines what you can do with virtual reality and augmented reality in games. But for applications, it's a space which is so new that you can... You can imagine a lot of things, but as long as you don't really try them out, you're not sure if that's really going to work or not. Yeah, we always presume that games are harder, that they could, that they push the computers harder than any business app ever would. But I don't know if that's true in this scenario. No, I, I think that's probably correct in terms of uh, what you want to what you want to develop. So, like we said, right? You you know you want to have a, a, a texture which is great. You want to have a number of polygons which is really higher than in the. Right you know, a non-gaming application. But mm. you can also rely on the fact that your gamers are going to have a very good PC or a very good box, right? And if right. they don't, they will buy a new one just for the game, right? So this is kind of a captive audience, which is really comfortable to have. So you can really experiment new things with them and not really be afraid of that. Um, on the other hand, when you go with apps, um, you don't have that, you know, you want to have stuff which runs on really low-end devices and that has to run smoothly anyway. And so that's one challenge. And the other challenge is really games is like, uh, you know, it's like a new world, right? I mean, you're immersed. So for virtual re reality, it's great because you imagine a new world and then you bring it. But when you do a, you know, a line of business application, for example, mm. you don't really want that, right? You don't want to distract the user. You want to help the user to be more productive and more efficient. So it's a totally different use case. So that's why I'm saying I think technically it might not be really harder except for the performance part, but it's more in the sense of how do I actually interact with my scene in a meaningful way? Uh, you know, how do I uh, invent this new set of gestures? For example, you cannot really assume that your business users are going to have Xbox controllers. Well, they might, but maybe they don't. So you have to come up with new stuff, right? So I just looked it up. The Oculus Rift is 1080p. Yeah. Okay. The, this is one of the things about, um, Oculus Rift, it requires a PC that the, the HoloLens, by contrast, has is a PC. And mm -hmm. um, I can't remember off the top of my head what the specs are in that PC, but I wonder if they're, uh, if Microsoft is at a better advantage having it all self-contained and, and not having to have as fast a processor, perhaps, as if it was outside. Well, I think it's a very different device. Yeah, it's a very different device, and it's a very different use case. So right. um, I'm thinking that the, um, I mean, having having tried the the Hololens, uh, I was lucky to try it twice. One once at Build, and once at um, you know in Redmond Summit. a bit yeah. later at the summit, exactly. And um, and I think the the use case is really different. And uh, in my opinion, for the use case of the Hololens, it makes sense to have something which is completely contained. Uh, I don't think you want, you know, in the in a professional space or in industrial space like that. You don't really want people to have to carry a uh, uh, to carry a computer around. So I have to say, I saw um, a firm is doing some um, they, they are doing some games uh, in house. So they have uh, kind of a big uh, store room and all that, and they give you um, actually a backpack. And inside the backpack, there is a PC that you carry around uh, to give you know enough enough. Uh, uh, enough power to basically power the augmented reality goggles that you're wearing in the game. So that's maybe something we can do also in the line of business space, but I don't see that really becoming very successful. So you really want to have the thing uh, completely contained. And uh, I think it was the right choice, in my opinion. 
but of course it means that you'll have to deal with other things like for example how do you you know evacuate the heat for example or stuff like that right this is a, yeah. a big challenge of course yeah and battery life obviously and battery life obviously yeah 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 i mean but it, you know if if hololens is sold as a collaboration device you need to be able to get together to collaborate being tethered to your desk is not good yeah that's correct and uh i think i mean i don't know uh, we'll see you know what happens when developers finally get get their hand on it but um basically in my opinion they took the right approach, right? In making it uh, a Windows 10 device, it's mm. probably a good idea. I mean, having the possibility to run your Windows 10 apps on it, uh, which means that they are not going to be 3D apps, but they are going to be flat apps that you can just pin to the wall or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's actually a, an interesting use case. And we go back to the, you know, the code scenario that, that Carl was mentioning before. Basically, you're on the beach and <laughs> and coding and I think that's probably a, a good idea because uh, a lot of people are going to want to wear that as a, as a virtual desktop. And in that case, having it self-contained is probably maybe a little bit less relevant. But if you want to really wear it and have a Skype conversation with whoever and walk around your house as you're doing that, then you definitely, first of all, you definitely don't want an Oculus because you're going to bang into the walls. Right. Right. <laughs> Not even speaking about the stairs I have here at home. So I, I really don't want that. But also, uh, more importantly, I really want to be able to walk around and, and, you know, go in my kitchen or whatever while I'm talking on the, on the phone. And I think that's a use case, which is going to be really interesting. Yeah. And it's not an outdoor device. You are just talking about watering the office or your home. Yep. <laughs> that's right. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? It must be that happy time again. Yep. It's time to proudly report. That 99% of our listeners laughed heartily at the joke I made in the middle of yesterday's show. Hey, Carl. Uh, yeah? Hey, I think you live in the virtual reality world here. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a VR expert to say, isn't it? Nice. <laughs> it's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first... Building a mobile application for iOS, Android, or Windows Phone doesn't have to leave you yearning for the zombie apocalypse. Life is worth living. Promise! There's definitely a better way, and it's the Telerik platform. It not only helps you build awesome cross-platform mobile apps fast, it's also a complete solution that supports the entire spectrum of your development needs. From design, build, and test, to deploy, manage, and measure, you're covered. Try it free at Telerik.com slash platform. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Edward Voles. Congratulations, Edward. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for you. A round of applause. And Edward wins the Telerik DevCraft Collection just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree, as you well know, to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. Laurent, it's your turn. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology, what would you buy? Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day when you asked the same question to Phil Hack. In the, I, I was listening to the show in my car, and um, I think I would go just crazy for, for drones right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's uh, honestly, it's something which has been 
quite interesting because I was not really into that. But recently, I started playing with a with a cheap one, which is like a fifty bucks that I got on Amazon, and it kind of opened my eyes to the stuff you can do with that. The only thing is that I really don't want to be bothered by the all the regulations, and so uh, that's you the only thing that the I United States, see. yeah. Well, here too, you know, they have all kinds of things. You know, Switzerland is known for regulation, so right. yeah. So anyway, um, I think I would probably buy a, a good drone and spend the rest of the money on making the regulations go away. So buying some permit or whatever we need. And yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting space for sure. Now, if you combine drones and VR, you get exactly. first-person view drone racing, yeah. which is starting to become a thing. Well, it is actually. It is a thing. They have races and they have all kinds of things. I was just reading today that uh, there is a, a league in the US which wants to be the next NASCAR and uh, they are actually using drones for high speed racing. And that's pretty, pretty intense. It's, yeah, it's quite amazing. And, and yeah, the first person view, I, it'd be fun to wear an Oculus Rift and, and, you know, be part of the race that way. Mm-hmm. It'd be fairly terrifying. They go fast. Like it's crazy do, how fast yeah. those guys are, are racing. No, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit less on the on the racing part, but I'm definitely in the uh, you know aerial photography part, and that uh, that's something which uh, which I find really interesting. I uh, I used to fly before, and uh, I've not flown a plane in a in a long time. But back then, I really loved to go in the Alps, and I'm kind of missing a little bit the uh, bird's eye view. So yeah, that would be something cool. Yeah, and actually have a set of cameras on the drone so that you could mm-hmm. effectively be there in your goggles. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's it is compelling. No two ways about it. And it, and it, clearly the gear is is coming. This is this is a very reasonable, feasible rig. Yeah, it is. And uh, you know the interesting thing is that um, the I mean the whole industry is pretty much coming from China at this time, right? And uh, right. they I was reading a, a report saying that they pretty much invented the whole thing, and they are pretty much the biggest player in the whole thing. And so uh, I have this uh, thing which I bought for 50 bucks, like I said, and I, I blew an engine. So those, those engines are like super small uh, electric, you know, engines with brushes, which are which is unfortunate because with brushes, they can break, right? Right. And so mm-hmm. basically, I broke one and uh, I went online. I found a, a guy in Hong Kong who actually shipped me one. And this, the, the engine is just five bucks, which is <laughs> surprising, right? When you think about it. Mm. So actually, I think the... Probably the most expensive part of the whole drone is probably the camera, and uh, and even the camera you can buy one like one of those Wi-Fi enabled camera for like twenty bucks. So it's really uh, it's really cheap at this time. Uh, the quality is uh, you know it's it's a twenty bucks camera. What can you do? But at the same time, if you go a little bit higher in price for a few hundred bucks, you can have something which is really HD and uh, with a, a gimbal. Did I say that correctly? Hmm. Uh, gyroscope, you yep, know, and gimbal. all that. And, yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, that's pretty awesome stuff. So yeah, I'm I'm thinking it might be the next uh, tech technology exploration I'm doing soon. Yeah. Should we talk about your work with the .NET Foundation? Sure, absolutely. I uh, I love the I love these guys. They are really great. Uh, yeah. Well, you know the the short story is that uh, when they started the .NET Foundation, they actually asked me uh, if I was interested to put my, uh, my MVVM light toolkit inside there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, those guys are, are pretty awesome. So I work uh, a lot with, uh, Chish Meltzer and nowadays more with Bess Massey and with, uh, Martin, Woodward, uh, Martin Woodward. Martin Woodward. Thank you so much. 
And uh, so they are, they are really cool. And uh, basically, the um, the idea uh, of putting MVVM right there is uh, for a few reasons. First of all, because I, I really love the idea of the foundation. I think it's a, it's a really cool idea. Yeah. Uh, second of all, there is, um, I mean, MVVM right is a little bit special in the sense that I'm the pretty much a sole contributor, but I do take a lot of uh, contributions from people outside in terms of feedback and in terms of uh, bug reports and, and repros and stuff like that. Um, I don't really let people code for it because I, I want to keep it small and I don't want it to blow off. And, right. you know, it's, uh, it's all, so I, I'm very conservative with contributions, but I, I do enjoy the... Um, the interaction, but the problem with that is that since I'm the only guy on it, if uh, I would at some point decide to stop, uh, which might happen when I'm 75 or whatever, uh, <laughs> <laughs> how about just busy? Yeah, well, you know exactly. Uh, how about just busy? Exactly. Um, mm. at, at this time, it would be super in- important to find somebody to, um, you know, for the continuity, right? And so uh, that's definitely something that the foundation can help with, and also all kinds of. Uh, legal stuff that they take out of the way for you and uh, I, I never really had any um, problems with that and nobody sued me for because you know my toolkit didn't work or whatever uh, <laughs> but it is something I'm I'm thinking about sometimes and uh, I mean they put it into Windows 10 right so they, uh, yeah. I saw I saw the other day that the messaging application of Windows 10 is actually using it so uh, this cool. kind of thing is, is a little bit scary at the same time um, and oh, you so, love yeah. it. Come on, you love it. <laughs> I, I do love it, but uh, man, I, I have to say, I sometimes think, well, crap, you know, I hope the, <laughs> I hope those unit tests are really working fine because <laughs> it's a little yeah. bit scary at times. But uh, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's uh, it's good to have uh, people that you can talk to if you have these kind of questions and not sure exactly what what you know what could happen, right? So uh, I, I do like them very much. They are super helpful. They are very very. Um, always open for discussion and everything. And so, yeah, I can only recommend people to check all the projects there. A good portion of projects there are Microsoft projects itself, but there is also a good portion of uh, non-Microsoft projects. And, uh, you know, it doesn't, they they don't put any constraints on me, really. So they, you know, there is nothing attached, basically. I don't have to change the code. I don't have to change features. I don't have to change the way I'm operating. There must be some litmus test, though, before you can get your uh, open source app in the foundation, right? Yeah. So that, yes. I mean, the projects are selected by uh, by a committee, right? So for me, what they wanted to check is, uh, what I remember is they wanted to check, first of all, that, the, that it's a project which... Uh, has kind of a history, you know, it's not like, uh, hey, I did something yesterday and let's put it in a foundation, right? right? So there is some continuity. And also what they wanted to check is uh, how is the uh, relationship with the community, basically? Yeah. Are you out talking about your project? Do you, um, you know, do you take feedback? Do you have discussions? Do you have whatever? It almost sounds like a, like a, um, a record label, you know? That uh, in the music business, or what used to be the music business anyway, uh, you know, a band would get very popular, you know, like let's say Dave Matthews got very popular by touring and selling albums out of the back of their van, you know, at concerts. And they got the, they got noticed by, by a big label and then went that way. So it, it kind of seems like, you know, you have to be, you have to be well known and you have to be well used probably with the history. 
Yeah, I guess so. I, I I mean, I'm not sure exactly what the criterias are, to yeah. be honest, and that's probably a question for, for Bess or, or Martin, you know, Martin being the, the, the main guy that I interact with there mm-hmm. um, in terms of criterias. But I remember that we talked about, especially about the community interactions, and that was important for them to yeah. have a, a good community interaction, to have somebody who's really uh, out there and and promoting the thing and but maybe mostly really receiving contributions and that is basically a, a living project right yeah. that's something that is quite important yeah but yeah good uh, you know good analogy so basically uh, I guess the .NET Foundation is Sony and I'm Motorhead right so right so is it generally that the .NET Foundation reaches out to certain projects and say hey would you like to be a part of it or is there an application process. I I cannot talk uh, generally speaking because I I don't really know. In my case, they approached me, but in my case, it was a little bit special because um, they had actually just created the foundation. Yeah, you were part of like you're one of the first projects in. I was the first non Microsoft project inside uh, inside wow. the foundation. Yeah, um, and so that was kind of a coordinated effort. I think it was at Build, if I remember correctly, uh, about two three years ago, something like that. Uh, where they announced it, and so they announced yes. the foundation, and they had a few uh, a few projects into that. So in my case, it was a little bit special. So I'm not sure what is exactly the selection process right now, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a good thing. I mean, for me, I'm I'm happy. I have no downsides whatsoever, and I only have plus sides. And the best side of all is that I get to talk to those guys who are really really very cool. Mm. Yeah. Do you have any advice to give to um, people who are looking to get their stuff in the foundation? I guess uh, probably the, the best advice is really, um, you know, do something which is uh, which has some continuity, like don't just jump around too much mm-hmm. and and have kind of a kind of a vision, you know, about your project. Where do you want it to go mm-hmm. and, uh, and and keep it alive? I mean, talk to people about it, put it out there. I mean, in my case, MVVM Lite is on CodePlex and people keep asking, why not GitHub? And. Honestly, mostly it's historical. Uh, I've started it on CodePlex and I don't really have any big incentive to to change it because I do have uh, a very good discussion with the community already as it is. And plus, I, I prefer to use Mercurial for my own projects, which is personal taste. Um, I have, uh, you know, I have stuff on Bitbucket as well. If you prefer Mercurial, if you right. like or don't mind Git, you can put your stuff on GitHub. That really doesn't matter. What's important is that it's really out there, that people can check it out easily, that you can have discussions with people easily. So that's really important. And uh, yeah, keep it alive and, uh, you know, go out and talk about it. And you don't have to talk about it at big conferences, but even just in small user groups, it's a, it's a great start, you know, to get... Uh, to get started. So I guess that's probably the, the best uh, scenario you can have. Okay. Yeah. And it's, I mean, this is, it's been around a long time. When did you start this? Was it five, six years ago? Oh, it was actually uh, 2009. Yeah. The, oh, the first version. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and uh, actually the very first version was even before that. So I, I started it um, as a, uh, more as an educational uh, tool. Uh, because back then I was I was writing a lot on my blog about WPF and uh, and Silverlight was just out, and uh, I wanted to have a, a set of samples that I could use, like say, hey, I'm going to explain to you how a command is working, and then we are never going to talk about it again because I want to talk to you about more things, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I didn't want to have to you know talk about the the same old things over and over again. 
And that's actually how I started the thing. And uh, after that, I showed it to a few people and uh, those guys have been very supportive and said, hey, you know, I really would like to use it in production. And what do you think? And I say, oh, my God, don't. Because, you know, the code is not ready for production yet. But then after that, I did a second pass on the code. I changed quite a lot of things. I had uh, basically a whole process with feedback. And um, and then in 2009, I put version 1 out there. And that was back then just for WPF, actually, initially. And uh, the thing which um, really helped me a lot is that uh, the, how should I say, the, the principles of the thing stayed um, on every platform that XAML supports. And now you can also go even further and say on every platform that .NET supports, which is also, you know, Xamarin iOS, Xamarin Android, and of course, Xamarin Forms, where they also have XAML. So the, I guess the, the big luck is that really, because for me, the big break was when Windows Phone came out, actually, because the toolkit is uh, lightweight. And so it's really great for mobile apps because you don't have to take too much infrastructure in and, there are, I remember when, um, you know, when the .NET version that is used in, in Windows phones and nowadays in Windows 10 came out, there was quite a lot of frameworks which just didn't work because they were doing some reflection which was too deep, all these kind of things. And, uh, and MVVM like just worked. And so I didn't really have to change the code too much. Uh, mostly it was about, you know, finding uh, good tests to make sure that everything was working fine and uh, and maybe adding a few components here and there. Like in Xamarin, for example, I, I have a, a data binding framework, which obviously is not necessary in XAML because you have data binding natively. Mm -hmm. But if you go to Xamarin iOS and Xamarin Android, you, you need something to do data binding. So that's a new component, which is just for that. And so, of course, it's a new development, but otherwise, all the components are really working on every platform, which I think is really the probably the strength of the of the toolkit in that case. Do you ever have uh, people asking you to do MVVM Lite for the web? Yeah, I had some uh, requests to do it for JavaScript, and I ran away screaming and said, "No, no, I'm just kidding." <laughs> uh, I no. The thing is, um, I, I think. Uh, well, how should I say that? I did really a lot of JavaScript before it was cool, I guess. You know, this is uh, kind of <laughs> like this is kind of like the faded hipster guys talking about how much drugs they did when they were kids. You know, <laughs> I did a yeah. lot of JavaScript. Oh yeah, it yeah, really yeah. screwed me up, man. Oh yeah, yeah. And then I I don't want to go back. You know, <laughs> oh, just kidding. It's um, I, I think honestly it would work okay probably, but I don't think it would add anything to to what others are doing and really i just don't want to deal with with that yeah. much so i have mvvm i mean the main reason why i have mvvm right running on so many platforms is that i i mostly didn't change the code much i mm -hmm. just recompiled right and uh, and of course there is a lot of uh, especially now in xamarin which is really the space which is exciting for me because there you you really have to come up with new ideas in terms of how do i use a pattern right uh, on the web, uh, yeah, I guess I maybe I missed that train when Knockout came out, and that could have been something. But uh, no, I'm I'm okay. I'm done with JavaScript. I did too much of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the end result of that experiment, the JavaScript one, you think? Yeah. Well, I'm pretty messed up nowadays. That's... <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. No, it's uh, you know I I love JavaScript. For I mean back then I really loved it for one main reason, which is that everybody had it on their yeah, computer. Right. And so, um, like I said, I always loved teaching. And um, back then I was really active on JavaScript news groups. And mm. well, the, you know there was a news group on Usenet, right? I mean I, I'm dating myself there. 
uh, I was connecting with my 33 point modem back then. But anyway, um, what I loved really is that you could teach programming to people who didn't have a development environment on their machine, and we were using just Notepad and uh, and, and Netscape, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember the first time I actually used the debugger in JavaScript. That was like a very bright day for me because oh my god, I can actually debug JavaScript because back then we didn't have really debuggers and all that. So the first time that you had those, uh, what we call now the F12 tools, right? Right. Uh, that was pretty cool. And so that was really what was interesting me. But nowadays, um, uh, you know, I did a lot of that. I did a lot of that also professionally. Uh, when I was working at Siemens, I did some uh, single page applications before people called that single page apps uh, and with Ajax and, and stuff like that. And that was really super interesting. I really loved it. Mm. Uh, I think we pushed the envelope of what JavaScript was able to do at the time. But, uh, you know, when I when I discovered .NET and fell into C Sharp, I, I pretty much never looked back. But uh, I worked in a lot of, of development environments, really. And uh, before C Sharp, I did a lot of Java, for example. And uh, I, I really loved it. But if you ask me if I would go back, I would probably say not. Because right now, you know, what is really exciting me is more in the, in the .NET space, really. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and, and clearly that space is still evolving too with the, with all of this new the universal app model the the new one that Microsoft's presenting it's mm-hmm. starting to actually feel somewhat universal. It does, yeah. It's uh, you know I I was at this point where I was uh, oh wow again I have to learn everything again right. Mm. And uh, I think that, uh, honestly, with XAML in general, they did uh, quite a good work in, in terms of if you know WPF, you can switch over to, uh, you know, to Silverlight and then later to uh, Windows Phone relatively easily. Uh, with Windows 8, it was kind of limiting sometimes because it was pretty much a rewrite. And so you have you had stuff which was not working the same and all that. But nowadays, a lot of that is really behind us now. And with Windows 10, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty cool, actually. Uh, I, I give uh, talks about WPF still, and um, I always like to joke a little bit about that and say, well, that's, you know, it's like XAML, but that people actually use in production and mm-hmm. all, <laughs> all those things. But, uh, but, yeah, but really, it's just jesting. I mean, if you see um, what you can do with uh, universal apps and Develop your app and and run it totally seamlessly on a phone and a and 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 a PC and a Surface Hub and whatever other crazy devices are coming soon out of Redmond, right? right. Uh, that is uh, that is pretty exciting, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, this show's coming out just a few weeks before build. I think we're all anticipating some amazing stuff. I'm hoping. I'm hoping very much that build is going to be a um, a stabilization edition. Did I say that correctly? Mm-hmm. Um, that is going to uh, maybe not totally blow our mind with uh, absolutely new stuff, but rather saying, hey, this is, uh, you know, we have done work on, based on your feedback, and this is now what you can do based on that. And uh, as much, uh, you know, in the in the virtual, rea- well, in the um, augmented reality space as in the Windows space, right? Uh, I think that, uh, honestly, in the past year, they did really a lot of work in uh, improving the platform. And, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to see that live. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, should be a good edition. I'm looking forward. And it yeah, sold out. I, I, like I one found it interesting right. that, A, they sold out insanely yeah, fast, right. like five yeah. minutes. And they're not giving away anything this year. And no hardware. Right. Yep. Which probably a lot of people registered didn't know because they didn't read because they went right. like click, 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 and boom, <laughs> I'm registered, right? Well, yeah, you didn't have time to read. You weren't going to get a seat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I'm not totally unhappy about the, the no hardware thing. I mean, I prefer 
I, I mean, I'm just hoping that this money will be invested in content and and yes. stuff. Uh, you know, the hardware thing, yeah, it was a kind of an iceberg, but right. You know, you probably remember those PDCs where we were super happy because we got a, a USB stick, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what? No Hololens for every attendee? <laughs> yeah. What the hell's going on yeah. here? Wishful thinking. Yeah, no, I'm hoping, you know, to see some, some great content and maybe some, uh, some deep dive in, in sessions and maybe even having the possibility to interact. I, I saw the um, last year session about the horror and thing, and I know not everybody could go. And, you know, in my case, I, I went because I was just lucky that I was, I had some 3G on my phone. And so I just registered through that and I managed to go to the, the HoloLens demo. Um, but, uh, I thought it was, it was really cool. I mean, it was a side session. You had to kind of miss some normal sessions because of that, you know, depending when your time was, yeah. but uh, honestly, I thought it was really cool to have uh, some hands on time and I'm hoping we'll see some, some of that again this year. Well, Laurent, what's next for you? What's in your inbox? Uh, well, I have a few things coming up. Actually, I'm uh, going to speak in a few places. Um, I think the first big travel really is going to be built pretty much. Uh, so that's coming up uh, hopefully fast. But before that, I'll be speaking in Switzerland in uh, Tech Days. So mm-hmm. that's going to be the start of the conference season. Um, I have a session at uh, Techorama, which is in Belgium. Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to that. Are you guys going? We're uh, we're trying to figure out if we can go. We'd like to. Yeah, we'd, we'd like, like to. You know. It's always a little logistically complicated. Very nice conference. Very nice people organizing. It's a conference, you know, from the community for the community. I really like to speak there. I think it will be yeah. my fourth time probably. Um, and plus, the hotel is awesome. It's a it's a church actually, which they renovated into a hotel. Wow! And so when you enter the room, I remember the first time I went above my bed, there was a saint. One of those tainted glass windows. Mm, actually, looking right. on my bed, and and my first move was to close the curtains because I didn't feel comfortable with this guy looking over my sleep. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, and that and the, and the the uh, the nave, the main uh, prayer hall is now breakfast. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's an awesome place. So, anyway, that's uh, going to be cool. And after that, I'm uh, oh, I think before that, actually, I'm going to evolve. So I'm uh, I'm speaking at Xamarin Evolve. Uh, it's going to be the second time I'm speaking there, and I'm really excited because uh, first of all, it's in Florida, and I last time I was in Florida, I was probably 17. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so that was a long time ago. And uh, second of all, and most importantly, from all, I I really love Xamarin Evolve. It's a great conference, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and you know, having some good time with uh, with examining folks down there, and I'm going to speak about the uh, the data binding framework inside MVVM Lite, and so that's uh, that mm. should be a deep dive, really. And uh, you know, other than that, I have a few things like uh, DevSum in Sweden, and uh, yeah, a couple of other things coming up. So I'm looking forward to that. Great. Well, uh, hope to see you around somewhere. Hope to see you in Belgium. That would be fun. That would be fun. And uh, we may be a build. We're we're trying to work that out too. Of course. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Laurent, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. It always is. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, the pleasure is mine. All right, and we'll talk to you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, 
a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 